This morning, I want you to think about what we're talking about with Paul. Paul wrote these words to the Corinthian church while he was warning them not to act like the Israelites did in the wilderness. And he wrote this. Now, these things happened to them, and he's talking about things in the wilderness, things that the Israelites did, as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. We learn from Paul's words that the Old Testament can still teach us today about how to live as God's people. Just before this verse, Paul was writing about difficulties in the Corinthian church. And he's telling the Corinthian church, you need to pay attention because the same God that we serve today is the same God that Israel uh, served. And when they disobeyed God in the wilderness, God disciplined them for it. And Paul was saying, we need to learn from them. We need to learn from what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness because of disobedience, because the same thing, Corinthian church, could happen to you. What was written down were examples and warnings so that you wouldn't repeat disobedience. Fortunately, all the examples that are written in the Old Testament for our instruction about how to live as God's people are not all negative examples. There are examples in the Old Testament that are positive and show times when God's people responded as they should have in situations that they encountered. And we're really grateful that it wasn't just negative situations that he used as an example. And we're going to look at one of those positive examples this morning, and I pray you will find it very encouraging and helpful in your walk as one of God's children. This example that we're going to look at this morning gives us great insight into how we are to handle the perplexities of life. How many of you are perplexed about life? Just life in general. You see the news, you see all the stuff, you look at how people act and all that. We we get perplexed. You know those events, this perplexity, happen in our lives that leave us scratching our heads and asking what question? Why? 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 Why questions are a part of our daily lives from a very young age. I don't know about you, but there seems to be a phase that every young child goes through when every time they open their mouth, the question comes out, why? I remember those times with my kids being quite frustrating. I just wanted to tell them, please stop asking me why. And I was able, as the authority figure in the house, to end a round of why questions by answering this. Because I said so. Don't ask why again. But just a few minutes later, another round of why questions would start. And it would all start over again. I must admit that one of the reasons uh, I didn't like these why questions or why they frustrated me was because they were just plain silly to me. I got tired of answering silly why questions. Fortunately, God does not get frustrated with our silly why question. Thankfully, He is much more patient than I was with my children. Not all why questions are silly. There are times when why questions are asked because we find ourselves not understanding how a loving, caring God could let something so terrible happen. Why, God, don't you stop so many children from being abused? Why, God, didn't you stop my husband from cheating on me? Why, God, did you plan for so many people to lose their homes during the Hurricane Ian here we just had recently? Why, God? There's one small book in the Old Testament that gives us great comfort when we bring these why questions to God. 
And so please turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. It's a minor prophet. It is right after Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. And as we're turning, let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and ask you to teach us from the prophet Habakkuk. We ask, Lord God, that we would be encouraged and that we would be strengthened by what we find in this small book. We thank you, Lord God, for what you did back in the Old Testament in Habakkuk's time so that we could learn how to handle the why questions today. In Christ's name, amen. Let's start by reading chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. What we find in these verses here is a very perplexed prophet, a very perplexed prophet, and he is going to question God here, and he does question God. I hope that you picked up on the emotions of Habakkuk. Lord, how long will I cry out to you? And it just seems as if you're not listening. How many have ever found that or thought about that? You've been praying about something, you don't understand why the world is like it is, and you see people hurt, all that kind of stuff, and you just pray about this, Lord, help me, and it just doesn't seem to change. He doesn't understand why God is not responding to his prayers about some of the evil things he sees going on. I believe that every one of us here can relate to Habakkuk. We see things going on in our lives and the world around us that we just don't understand, and God just seemingly stands by and a holy God and does nothing about them. We are often perplexed like Habakkuk, and we come to him with these questions like Habakkuk did. So what was going on in Israel to make Habakkuk so emotional? Habakkuk was writing this prayer around the 7th century B.C. There had been a time of peace and prosperity in Israel under the leadership of Josiah. He, uh, Josiah became a king when he was very young, and he really led the nation well. But when Josiah died, his son Jehoiakim ended up on the throne and did not follow in his father's godly footsteps. Jehoiakim exploited the Israelite people, and as always happened in the past, Israel had become like their king. Israel was now full of corrupt judges and leaders and people. Israel as a nation had become violent and destructive. Strife was everywhere. There was no concern about justice or mercy. And Habakkuk had been praying about this terrible situation. But God was silent. God had not answered Habakkuk. He did not give Habakkuk an answer of why this was happening and why he was not doing anything about it. Habakkuk was perplexed and frustrated. Why would a just God allow violence and injustice to overrun his people? Why would God allow his law to become useless within a nation? When it says the law was paralyzed, the law had, was, was useless. It had, could not do anything. It could not move anybody anywhere at this point in time in Israel's history. Where are you, God, Habakkuk asks. Don't you see this happening? And Habakkuk expected God to act and to take care of the situation, but God was silent. Sadly, I think that we are in a similar situation as what Habakkuk was living in Israel at that time. 
If you look around the United States right now, if you look around the world, what do we see as a general whole? Injustice, violence, oppression, abuse, exploitation, evil. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. All we have to do is open our eyes. Our prayers for justice to prevail seem to fall on deaf ears. And I know that there's times when I look around and I, there's certain things that touch my heart. You heard one of the things that touched my heart last week when we talked about the abortion issue. And children especially get my heart. They really do. When I see them being abused and exploited. And I just, sometimes I just walk when I'm out walking and praying, Lord, why? Why, why, why is this here? Why aren't you doing anything about it? It's not unusual for us as followers of Jesus Christ to experience these same emotions that we see in Habakkuk. And therefore, we need to be mentored by Habakkuk on how to respond to God in these situations. So Habakkuk sees his people suffering from exploitive leadership. He sees the people had become like their leaders. He sees God's law being ignored and ineffective. So he brings the issue to God and God doesn't answer. And he becomes frustrated. But... He handles his frustration properly, and he brings it to God again. Why aren't you listening to me and doing something about it? He doesn't just give up prayer, does he? He's been praying for a while, and he still is asking the same question. Why aren't you listening to me? And now, God, how many like this statement? Now, God, in his timing, in his timing, answers Habakkuk. How many of you like God's timing in these things? I mean, sometimes we just pray and pray and pray, and, and it doesn't seem to go anywhere. And all of a sudden, two years down the road, or three years down the road, or six months down the road, you get an answer, and you're going like, I don't like your timing. But here we see God finally answers Habakkuk in his timing. And now I want you to follow along with me as we read verses 5 through 11. Here we're going to find that God is going to finally answer Habakkuk. Chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. The Lord says, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. And then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. I don't think that's the answer Habakkuk <laughs> was wanting. God assures Habakkuk he is still there. He assures Habakkuk that he is not alone. He says, I am still here and I am planning something that you would not believe even if I told you to take care of this situation. What a comfort this would have been to Habakkuk because he understand that God was still there. He was no longer being silent. He saw that Habakkuk, what Habakkuk saw and was in the process of answering Habakkuk's prayer to take care of the situation. But I'm going to tell you something. After the first couple of verses there of God's answer, 
his comfort was short-lived. What God was going to reveal would have been like a bombshell going off in Habakkuk's Jewish mind. God was going to use the Chaldeans to punish Israel. Look at verse 6. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. We can't even imagine the response that Habakkuk's heart would have had. You are going to use the Chaldeans. You're going to use this wicked people. And we need to understand, for us to understand Habakkuk's emotional response to this, we need to understand who were the Chaldeans? Who were the Chaldeans? The Chaldeans, we also know by the name of Babylonians. And God himself introduces us to who they were. And we had read through that in verses 7, 8, and 9. Here's what we, some of the things we learned about the Chaldeans. They were terrible and dreadful people who recognized no law or judge but themselves. That was in verse 7. No one had been able to stand against their rapid onslaught, and they had become a world power very, very quickly, verse 8. They were known for their brutal, bloody violence, and they were coming like a whirlwind and to gather Israel into their fold like they had other nations. There was nothing to stop them. In chapter 1, verse 10, we see that they were a proud people who were so confident in their strength that they would mock the kings of the nations that they enslaved. It was their custom to brutally exhibit captive rulers as public spectacles. And we have, if you want to write down this, you can go back and look at it in 2 Kings chapter 25, verse, 12, verse 7, that the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and killed King Zedekiah's sons right before his eyes. So they captured the king, they held him there, and they slaughtered, brutally slaughtered, his sons right before his eyes. He had to stand there and watch. They blinded, they put his eyes out. So the last thing he would see was them murdering their son, his sons. That's how brutal. And if you look at uh, the history of the Babylonians, the, the Chaldeans, they were a people that did not care how much they hurt you. They thought themselves as gods over other nations and peoples. Habakkuk can't not believe what God is revealing to him. This isn't what he expected God to do. And so this perplexed prophet questions God again. He questions God again. Look at chapter 1, verse 12 through 13. Put yourself in Habakkuk's position here. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O oh Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O oh rock, have established them for reproof. You who are pure of eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow up the man more righteous than he? What we see in these verses, Habakkuk is saying, you have chosen the Chaldeans to judge your people, but how can you even look at this, think about doing this? They are more unrighteous than your own people. Your own people need to be disciplined. Your own people need to be judged by you. But why are you using the Chaldeans, this group of people, this nation, who is so much more unrighteous than your own people? Habakkuk just cannot understand and I like what we see Habakkuk doing as he finishes up this second questioning session. He does that all the way through the rest of chapter 1. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. 
Here we have Habakkuk even more confused than he was before. And he says, I I have to get out of here. I'm going to go walk on the wall. I'm going to walk back and forth on the tower. And I'm going to wait for God to answer this complaint. He is frustrated beyond belief. He says, you've answered me. And I don't feel alone anymore. And I understand our people need to be punished, but not by the Chaldeans, not by these people. Because he knew what the Chaldeans would do to his people. He knew the bloodshed that was coming. And he's going, Lord, I don't understand. We learn much in these verses about how to handle situations we do not understand. How many of you here have ever encountered a situation as dire as what Habakkuk was looking at the whole nation of Israel? And we can learn from, he's in this really extreme situation, and some of us are in hard situations, and some of us are in very hard situations, and some of us aren't in situations that are so bad. But we often have the same emotions because that situation we're in is a big thing right now. And we can learn about how to handle whatever situation we are in that we don't understand. First, the first thing we learn here in these verses is we take our frustrations to God when we don't understand. We need to take our frustrations to God when we don't understand. We don't emote. We don't let the rest of the world know. We don't explode. The first thing we do immediately when we don't understand, we go where? Before God. And even when he went before God and God answered him and he still didn't understand, where did he go first? Right back to God. Every time. He is the only one who really has the answers. He is the one who is in control of the situation that has been brought about. We need to take our frustrations first and foremost to God anytime we just don't understand life or when we see things out there. We need to go to God first. Second, We never forget who we're talking to in our frustration. We never forget who we are talking to in our frustration. As we've said, Habakkuk is very frustrated. He doesn't understand what God is doing. But how does he approach God? Look at verses 12 and 13. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God? Do you see a respect there? He's still frustrated. Is he yelling at God? Is he angry at God? He says, you are not from everlasting, O Lord my God and my Holy One. We shall not certainly die. O Lord, respect. You have ordained them as judgment, and you, O rock, you are the mighty one, have established them for reproof. You who are pure of eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong. What's he talking to God about? He goes, I know who you are. I know how pure you are. You are our our rock. You are our God. Did he ever lose sight of who he was speaking to in his frustration? No, he did not. He He never approached God in an irreverent way even in the midst of his great frustration. How many times do we approach God in our anger, in our not understanding, and we just almost yell at God? We forget that we are talking to the creator of the universe. And we need to be cautious about that. And third thing we see, when we approach God with our frustrations and ask why, and this is what I really love about this, God is patient. God is patient. God doesn't lash out. God doesn't get sarcastic. God is patient with Habakkuk. Do we need God's patience? How many of us just need God to be patient with us when we're frustrated? 
How many of us need God to walk alongside of us and say, I'm still here and I'm not like Pastor Mark when he got frustrated with his kids. You can ask all these questions. You can even get frustrated, but I am here. I'm never going to leave you. Boy, we need a God like that, don't we? Because we know that no matter how many times we need to, we can go back to who first? God. Over and over and over. In these verses, we can find confidence to bring our frustrations to God, and He will be patient with us as we work through those frustrations. These verses bring so much joy to my life because I need God's gentle patience. Habakkuk is still standing on the wall, waiting for God to answer, and God does in chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. God answers Habakkuk's feelings. He has an answer for his feelings. Look at chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. The Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up and it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. God has an answer for Habakkuk's feelings. He does something here that we just need to kind of understand and grasp just because Habakkuk is a little bit different of a book. In the other prophets, the normal way that it works is God chooses a prophet to speak for him and then God goes to the prophet and says you go to the people and say thus saith the Lord and the prophet does what tells Israel everything that they're doing right or wrong usually wrong but at the first part of this book of Habakkuk God doesn't tell Habakkuk to say anything to the people he doesn't tell them to write anything down doesn't tell him to do anything we have a privilege of seeing a private conversation between God and Habakkuk But now it changes a little bit. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Write the vision and make it plain on the tablet so that he may may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits his time. He's saying, I want you to write this down now. I want everybody else to be able to read this. And when when something is written down, what happens with something that we write down as far as our opinion? It is recorded, right? We can't say, oh, I changed my mind or that's not what I really meant. When we write it down, and basically God is signing His name here, God is saying, I am sending the Chaldeans, they're going to punish Israel, and you can take that to the bank. It's going to happen. And I want everybody else to know it. Because it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. And what God says here, He gives Habakkuk actually a very simple answer. Do you know what God's answer for Habakkuk's feelings are? This is one that everybody here who struggles with this, and that's all of us at one time or another, we're going to enjoy this. We're going to enjoy this answer. God gives Habakkuk the simple answer of, Habakkuk, you are not capable of understanding what I'm doing. That's what he says. How many of us like that answer? How many of us like that answer? You see, in some ways, our pride gets in the way, doesn't it? We think that God does what? Owes us an answer. God, this is not going right. You're a pure and holy God. I don't understand this. You owe me an answer. I am one of your children. You, need, you owe me an answer. And God is saying, I'm sorry. Sometimes the answer is you can't understand what I'm doing and you cannot grasp it and you need to walk with me in faith. And that's basically what he tells Habakkuk. You can't understand it. 
We forget that God is infinite and we are not. And then we need to understand that most of the time we are not really capable of grasping what God is doing. We're not. I don't know why God has allowed the Russia and Ukraine war. I don't know why God uh, let so many billions of dollars of damage and, and people dying in the hurricane. I don't know why God allows children to be trafficked. I don't know why. And it breaks my heart. I don't know why there are thousands upon thousands, almost a million babies a year killed through abortion. I don't know why. And God says, you're not capable of understanding why. But look in chapter 2, verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. He's talking about the Chaldeans. It is not upright within him. Basically, he says, I recognize who they are. He says, but, what's he say? The righteous, and who's he referring to? Habakkuk, you. The righteous shall what? Live by faith. God reminds us that the righteous man, the righteous woman, the righteous child of God lives not by what they see, not what they can understand, but by faith in who God is and what he has already done. We live by faith because of who God is and all the things that he has done before. We say, God, you've been faithful. We see, God, has God been faithful to Israel throughout all the centuries? How many times did Israel not deserve his faithfulness? How many times have nations rose and nations have fallen and God proved faithful to people and his people within those nations? How many times has God proven himself faithful in our own lives, our own individual lives when we don't deserve it? And basically God is saying, I know what's happening. I know who the Chaldeans are. I know what I'm letting them do. You can't understand it and I need you to trust me and have faith in what I'm doing. How do you respond when God gives you that answer? Do you find yourself even more frustrated? And so many times I see people who are Christ followers, they, they want to walk away. They want, and actually, some of them who have maybe mistaken that they're Christ followers, they walk away from the church because they don't understand. They, they don't have the gift of faith that God gives them through the Holy Spirit. And we really need to ask ourselves the hard question. How do I respond when God tells me legitimately, you can't understand and you need to walk in faith with me? Can we go to bed that night and sleep soundly? For no other reason than God says, trust me because I have been faithful. Trust me because I am an infinite God, creator of the universe, and I know the plan from beginning to end. You trust me, go to bed and sleep soundly. That's hard, isn't it? Especially for some of us who are control freaks. Because we think, what? I can't unless I know. But God says the righteous person lives by faith. A righteous person will respond by faith. And then again, as we move through, we see Habakkuk's response. We see Habakkuk's response. Move over to chapter 3, starting in verse 2. And actually, let's start in chapter 3, verse 1. So God answers and gives Habakkuk a number of woes about the Chaldeans. Woe to you, Chaldeans, because you did this. And basically telling Habakkuk, I know exactly who they are. 
And when God finishes the woes, Habakkuk responds back to him. And as we look at chapter 3, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to a Shiganoth. You want to know what he did? Habakkuk responded by writing a song. He responded by writing a song. And he opens that song in a way uh, that I really like in the NIV. I like this in the NIV. He opens the song this way, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Oh, man. Has Habakkuk's heart changed? He says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. He is now going to write a song about why he can have faith in God. When God says, the righteous have faith in me, you cannot understand this, Habakkuk. Walk with me in this, and you will see it unfold. And Habakkuk says, Lord God, you're right. Lord God, you're right. How did Habakkuk respond? He responded in humility. He responded in humility. God's reminder of who he is and who Habakkuk was caused Habakkuk to humble himself before God. And we see that in verse 2 of chapter 3. O Lord, I have heard and report of you and work and your work I do fear. You know, you and I must also remember who God is when we come before Him in our frustration. We often forget who we are approaching when we pray and we react to the situation. God is God and we are not. And when we remember that, our countenance, our attitude must change like Habakkuk. Your heart will never change. You will never find comfort even in times of anxiety unless you say, Lord God, you are God and I am not. And until we humble ourselves, until we bow our knee to the God who says, you're not going to understand it, I am not going to tell you, have faith in me. Until we say, you are God and I am not, we will never ever find peace on this earth. And then he responded in worship. He writes the song. A righteous response to not understanding what God is doing is worship. Did you get that? A righteous response to not understanding what God is doing is worship because God has proven himself faithful in the past. I'm going to say that again. A righteous response to not understanding what God is doing is worship. It's worship. And chapter 3, verse 1 makes this clear because we see that Habakkuk, why do you write a song? Why do, why do Kathy and the worship team get up here every Sunday morning? What do they want to bring us to? A point of what? Worship. We sing these songs so that we can be directed towards God. We sing these songs so we can be reminded of who God is and what He's done for us. We sing these songs to worship God. And when Habakkuk writes a song, he is saying, I want the people who read my song to what? Worship when you don't understand what God is doing in your life. Why does he want us to worship? Because if we're worshiping God, what are we not thinking about? Everything else is going on in the world, the things that I don't understand. If I'm worshiping God and I'm focusing on God and I'm singing praises to God and I'm reading His Word because I don't understand, you want to know something? Your mind is full of God instead of the things going on in the world. It doesn't mean we forget about them. It doesn't mean that we don't work to relieve whatever suffering we can, but 
We're not anxious about it because our minds are where? Worshiping with God. In this hymn, Habakkuk reveals why he can walk in faith and trust God when he doesn't understand. He reminds himself of God's faithfulness to Israel in the past. And we're just going to walk through this really quickly. Chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. I'll let you read them later, but I'm just going to tell you what he's talking about. In verses 3 and 4, he reflects on how God revealed himself to Israel on on Mount Sinai when he delivered the Ten Commandments. He starts at the beginning of Israel. He says, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth was full of praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. And that's when he came down on Mount Sinai in verses 3 and 4 when God gave him the Ten Commandments. And what did the nation of Israel do when God came down on Mount Sinai? Uh Uh-oh, this is God. And they didn't want to be faced with God. What did they do? They backed up and said what? Moses, you go. They had an idea how great God is. And that's where it starts. That's where worship starts. Understanding how great our God is. Understanding how wonderful and majestic and how holy and how righteous and how loving and how gracious and how kind God is. And then in verses 5 through 7, he remembers God's faithfulness in destroying the Canaanites when Israel came into the promised land. In verse 8, he asks a rhetorical question. Look at verse 8. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? And the rhetorical question there expected is no. No, he was not angry at the rivers and the sea when they boiled. He was just using nature to protect Israel as as Israel's warrior God. Look at verse 9. You strip the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. He says, you, as my warrior God, you strung up your bow and you're getting ready to protect me. And so he says in verse 8, it's a rhetorical question. No, God's not mad at the rivers. He's not mad at the sea. He is getting ready to use nature to protect Israel. And then we see some examples of this. In Exodus chapters 14 through 15, God uses a cloud and fire and darkness and sea to protect his people, right? Nature. In Joshua, God uses an earthquake to shake Jericho. In Judges 5, torrential rain to protect Israel in a battle that they could not have won without the torrential rain. In 1 Samuel 7, Israel's enemy was defeated by a thunderstorm. In 2 Kings 18-19, God protected Israel from Syria by a plague. Over and over and over, we see God using nature to protect God's people. These are things that Habakkuk had in mind when he composed his hymn of worship. God had proven himself faithful for Israel for thousands of years, and that reflection tremendously impacted Habakkuk. Let me ask you something. When you think back on the things that God did for Israel and protected Israel, does that give you confidence in your God? I mean, how many of us have seen the Red Sea part or see anything part like that? How many of us have seen God descend on Mount Sinai? How many of us have seen thunderstorms and hailstones protect us when we were going to be attacked as a nation? We haven't seen that. But you want to know something? God recorded them, as we saw in Romans. God recorded those for whom? For us. Those things need to bring confidence and love for God to our lives, even though they happened thousands of years ago to Israel. Now let me ask you another question. That's the past. We should gain great confidence from that. How many of you have seen God faithful to you in your life right now? 
in the life that you are living since the day you were born. How much have you seen God faithful to you when you didn't deserve it? How many times do we let that? When God says, you can't understand, you're not going to understand, you need to have faith I know what I'm doing, because, and I want you to know something, I've been faithful to you since the day you took your first breath. You need to let that count for something. And so often, we let the things in the past become the things in the past, and they don't move us anymore. It's like we need this, uh, this consumer attitude. If God doesn't show himself like on a daily basis in a really immaculate way, you know he's really not working in my life. We fail to look back on our lives and see over and over and over his steps. And I'm going to tell you something. God protected Mark Hardenbrook from Mark Hardenbrook so many times. I cannot even imagine. We need to recall God's faithfulness. How much did, did remembering these things impact Habakkuk? Look at verse 16. I hear my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Habakkuk was about to collapse from this amazing encounter with God's faithfulness. He felt as though his bones were in a state of decay and his nervous system was all unraveled. However, his confidence and hope were renewed. He found a sense of new peace, a, a new sense of peace and purpose in his prophetic ministry, and he ends, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Has anything changed? Is the situation still going to happen? Are they still going to be taken over by the Chaldeans? Are hundreds and th of thousands of people going to be killed when they do this? Yes. Is the temple going to be destroyed? Yes. Are they going to be deported? Babylon. Yes, and how do we know they were? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were all part of this. But after he remembers what God is and who he is and the faithfulness of God, he trembles at the thought of what's going to happen. He trembles at the thought that he knows God is faithful, and he trembles because he says, I can now wait for God to bring this terrible incident to happen, and I'm okay with that. What insight we gain from Habakkuk's mentoring. We need to let God pass faithfulness to all his people and in our present lives greatly impact our hearts and minds and bodies as we reflect on his faithfulness. When we, God seems far away and doesn't seem to help us understand what he's doing, we need to let his past faithfulness impact us, change our hearts just like it did Habakkuk. And that's the last thing we see. We see an absolute change of heart. And I, this is one of my favorite portions of the Bible. You have the background now. You know what Habakkuk has gone through. You know the, a change in Habakkuk's heart. You know the psalm now that Habakkuk has written for everybody. And Habakkuk is going to sit back now. Listen to Habakkuk. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the Lord of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread upon on my high places. <laughs> How much of a change is there between chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, and the last part of chapter 3? He goes, the world can completely fall apart. Is it getting ready to fall apart around him? Does he know that for sure? Does he understand why God is going to use the Chaldeans to do it? No. But he says, when the 
Everything ceases. No food to eat, no place to go for home. He goes, I will still walk uprightly and faithfully to my God because I trust Him. I hope and pray that this morning as we have looked at Habakkuk's response to a very difficult situation, his, we've seen his perplexity, we've seen him not understanding what God has done, and we see him work through that, we see him come before God and ask God questions, we see God's response. All of this is to train us and teach us what? We can be like Habakkuk, and we can respond in a way that is not anxious. We can trust a faithful God who's been faithful to Israel for thousands and thousands of years, has been faithful to us in our own individual lives. Our God is faithful. Our God knows what He's doing. And the ultimate end to all of this is we are going to be saved by faith in Jesus Christ, and we're going to spend all of eternity with Him in heaven, no matter what happens on this planet. And we need to walk in that confidence every day. And the world needs to see that confidence in our walk every day. If the world doesn't see that confidence in our walk, if the world doesn't see us have that kind of faith in our God, why would they want to even consider our God? If we are just as anxious as they are, if we are just as fearful as they are, our God can make us different. He has made us different with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, we have so much to be confident in. You have proven so often your faithfulness to your people. You've disciplined them and you discipline us, but Father, you're still faithful and we're still secure in your love and your grace and your mercy no matter what happens. Father, when we are disciplined, help us understand that it's for our own good and help us to still, even in difficult times of discipline, help us to remember that you are faithful and will not abandon us just like you didn't abandon Israel. Father, help us to be able to worship now like Habakkuk did. Father, composing a song, a song that says, I know who you are and I know what you've done and I trust you. Father, as we sing today, help us to come with the same heart attitude because we trust you in Christ's name. Amen.